All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Behind the Wheels Podcast. I am your host, uh, DJ Artistic. I would like to introduce you to my co-host, EB. What's going on, everybody? I am EB, the writer, content creator, and blogger out of the planet of Brooklyn. Brooklyn in the building. And I'm I'm a DJ, you know, I DJ here and there, all around the world and all that. So you got me and EB here together. This is Behind the Wheels. We talk about everything regarding black music. That's past, present, and future. So we have a show, a good show coming up for you today. We have a, a guest host who I've known literally for my entire life. So uh, we're definitely looking forward to that. So before we get into it, um, before we get into our first segment, EB, I have a question. So you're out there in New York. I know you don't party like that. I know you're not out there in the club, club or nah, whatever, not no more. Those days are behind me. Those days are behind you. But you still, you still go to some bars and stuff sometimes. I'm assuming, right? Uh, yeah, I definitely go to bars. You do that. That's what Brooklyn is known for, especially yeah, right now. Exactly. So. Yeah. I have a question. Uh, you know about is it Dembow or Dembo music? D E M B O W. I've never heard that term before in my life. What is that? Same for me. Okay. Okay. So I'm not too far behind. So essentially, I, I learned about this a couple days ago. It's a new a new genre. I would say genre versus a subgenre that I think it initially came from the term came from Jamaica, from what I see it. I know uh, Shiba Ranks is the one who had a song, you know, that was called uh, Dem. I think it's pronounced Dembo, for what I know, D-E-M-B-O-W. Mm-hmm. And essentially, Shiba Ranks had a song that was mentioning back, uh, mentioning that about thirty years ago. But it's currently a subgenre that's uh, a genre that's big, especially in like the Dominican. I heard the Dominican and even Colombia. And okay, I listened to a lot of it because I was just um, I was on Instagram scrolling. And you know how a lot of these TikTok videos have like, what do you like better, Afro beats or dancehall? It'll be back to back songs. Do you like East Coast hip hop, West Coast hip hop, whatever? Yeah. And uh, they had one of those type things with two DJs, and it said it was Afro beats versus Dembo, and I was like, what is Dembo? So I listened to it, and it was basically like a very fast style. Like, it's if I didn't know it was a a, a title of it, I would have just thought it was like faster reggaeton, but it. It's a whole different, uh, okay. whole different pattern. The drum patterns are different from reggaeton. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fast. I would say it's like, it's probably the same speed as what they use for a lot of like merengue songs, but it sounds totally different. It has a very modern type of sound, and they're usually rapping, and they're rapping in Spanish, but it does sound like um, I think most of, most of the artists that I've seen are Dominican. So. I've okay. Just been kind of researching that yeah. the last couple of yeah. It just sounds like something that's probably playing up in Washington Heights, where it's a, like a larger Dominican community. Maybe yeah. out in Bushwick in Brooklyn, um, they're probably listening to it. I personally haven't heard it, and yeah. now I'm curious that, especially because you were like, uh, like almost like merengue, but it's a total different drum pattern. I'm just trying to imagine yeah. how it sounds, so I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, yeah, because I would say, and I would say it doesn't really sound like merengue, but it it definitely has a lagging sound, but it's just, it's about that speed. It's a real fast, kind of 130, 135 BPM okay. upbeat speed. But but from talking to DJs in New York, uh, some of them were surprised that I hadn't heard it yet. But overall, they said, of course, California doesn't really have a Dominican or a Colombian population. It's more so Mexican when it comes to anything of lagging descent. But I heard that um, even, even in the South, there's certain cities that you'll hear it, even at a black party. So it looks Whoa. like one of those waves that... Uh, no huge songs have come from it from what I've heard yet, but it looks like it, it might be one of those things in two, three years, it, it might be uh, at the same level as how you hear reggaeton everywhere on the radio and at the club. So definitely something that I'm, I'm um, looking out for. From what I heard, I mean, it sounded decent. I could tell it's, it's definitely cultural where you can't just play it for a crowd who's not familiar, but it had high energy to it. So to me, I can see it going over with the Mexicans out here too. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm like looking it up yeah. and I'm I'm seeing that it is Dominican in origin. So yeah, um, I, I guess I'm gonna have to start hanging out with uh, our <laughs> light skinned cousins. See what, what they're hitting on. It is some of our cousins. I'll be out there at the end of the month too, so I'm definitely gonna see what it's talking about. So bet that's what that is. So let's go ahead and get into it. So our first segment is called the rewind segment. With the rewind, we like to highlight artists, producers, whatever it could be, groups from the past. Some are still making some waves, but mainly those who had their impact back in the day and uh, whoever it is that we feel deserves their flowers. So for this episode, who would you like to highlight for this one? I got to go with um, a New York legend, uh, Harlem, Queens, large professor. He is uh, somebody that I don't feel people don't uh, show enough respect to. And a lot of the younger generation have no idea who he is, which is crazy to me. But um, I, because... I love Main Source. I know him. He's uh, started in Main Source. They had that album in '91 yeah. called Breaking Atoms. And yeah. looking at the front the door, front door. Oh yes, oh, one yes. of my favorite songs. And it uh, it came on randomly in a shuffle last week, and I was like, "Why people don't be talking about a uh, large professor mm. like like they should?" But um, he started as a producer. Actually, he didn't join the Main Force until 1989. He was one of the founding members. But in 1990, he was producing for Eric B. and Rakim. Main Source dropped hmm. Breaking Adams in 91. Um, everybody should know looking at the front door, but they had it was yeah. a solid album. Um, in 92, the group recorded a song for the White Men Can't Jump soundtrack called Faking the Funk. And immediately after yeah. that, they, you know, they uh, you know how it goes in business when you in a group and people don't see eye to eye. They broke up and um Main source like quietly replaced him. Like they didn't say a word, but what he did immediately after was signed a deal with Geffen. So this man is a certified New York legend. He has produced with everyone or for everyone. I'm talking Pete Rock, CL Smooth, Nas, Busta Rhymes, Master Ace, Big Daddy Kane, Tribe Called Quest, Mob Deep, Akin, Akin, Akinyele, I can't never pronounce that man's oh, name. I, I can I can yell it, yeah. Yeah, I can never pronounce that man's name. But he <laughs> yeah. is one of those um unsung producers that people don't show enough love to. He does have his own recordings. He actually started recording his solo album in 96, but it was shelved until 2009. What happened? <laughs> like it, they the album they kept getting That's... pushed back until they finally shelved it. Um there was a bootleg that was released in 2002, but all in all. He has five solo rap albums and then he has three albums of beats, you know, like just his beats. And the latest one Uh. actually came out. um, Volume three came out at the top of the year. So he's still on the scene. He's still working. He's still doing his thing. He's probably produced for one of your favorite artists. Um, For anybody listening, you just got to like really get into. Yeah, go back and listen to the main source. Um, Their first album is my favorite still. That's the one he yeah. was on. But also, like, get into his solo music because I think he's amazing. Definitely. The thing about uh, looking at the front door, it's one of those songs that, like, being in L.A., I remember hearing it back in the 90s, but it was, like, before I was really deep into rap, so I didn't really mm-hmm. pay as much attention to it. But I remember being at um, Rest in Peace to Ricky Harris, the comedian. I was at his house about nine years ago, and we were recording the, um, some drops from my mixtape, my mix called The Timeline, and after we uh, finished it, he had on one of those TV stations where it's like no videos, but they just show like they're just playing um, hip hop songs. One of those direct TV stations. So they, what are you talking about? Yeah, he played direct. Uh, direct TV has those hip hop and R and B stations, and 
I remember it came on and he got hyped. And I was just like, I heard I heard it before. He was like, no, you gotta know about no main source, man. Looking at the front door, man. This song back in 91, this this was my jam. He started yeah. getting hype about it. And I was like, oh, this is kind of banging though. And I realized it's the same bass line that they used on um, what was it that uh, Lisa Lisa Co Jam? They used that yeah. same bass line too. It's same, it's, same year. It's yeah. one of those songs that is so um like one of those like first like serious like reflective hip-hop songs and it's not like a song that you can party to even though i know some people who have party to it but it's like he's talking some real shit actually um he really is professor p he he called it one of the most emotional songs that he's ever recorded you know he was like Mm. really young i think he was only 18 when the album dropped so he's been doing his thing forever like he's been in the business but that song is it came on shuffle and i was like why does no one talk about professor like nobody i never hear his name mentioned i rarely hear main source mentioned but i especially don't hear his name mentioned i feel like even his work with Nas, and uh, Nas actually had a a show with the la philharmonic a couple days ago and it's Mm. like so it's where he he made those legendary songs for him and i feel like i hear his name a lot when it's those boom bap monday type of uh vibes like a lot of hip-hop the truly hip-hop type producers uh and uh not producers but djs and fans mm-hmm. love them but you don't really hear them outside that bubble like you you'll hear of premiere and them way more than him than him yeah and it, i think yeah. he's in the same vein as like a premiere or pete rock yeah like, like we wouldn't know who Nas was if it wasn't like Nas's first appearance was main on source, main yeah. source the album so and Live i think with the barbecue he, yeah he, yeah he i think he rec- he produced what four songs from illmatic like the most of anybody yeah. else so yeah this man is like a hip-hop legend and he is like produced for some of the most legendary names but his name isn't spoken enough we got to show him some respect yeah, definitely. I think who was it? Maybe a few weeks ago when he had his birthday, uh, they actually had somebody had a tribute for him on Twitch. So it was dope seeing that. Oh, that's dope. They played nothing but music that he made. So it was, wow. it was dope to see that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we need, it we might need been more like, parties like that. It might have been Green Lantern. It might have been Green Lantern, which would make sense because of, of the whole Nas connection. It probably was. I wish I would have known yeah. about it because I definitely would have tuned in because his his music yeah. is he makes amazing music, not just as a rapper, but especially as a producer. The producer, yeah, he had both yeah. sides covered. So, yeah, salute to uh, Large Professor for sure. And for my pick, uh, similar but but I'll say a different era, the following era, a producer who came, you know, a similar story in a sense to me. I'm gonna go with High Tech. So yeah. High Tech, yeah, High Tech is a producer who came from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, he got his start really around like 96. He had a, a kind of a local project in Ohio, a group called Mood, and they had a song called Hustle on the Side, which was one of those like you probably had to be from Ohio to know it, especially back then, because it wasn't really on radio nationwide from what I know. But uh, listen to that album. He actually had some dope tracks back then. And he's one of those those producers that uh, before he found his own style, you could tell that he was influenced by the large professor types, but mm-hmm. he definitely had a lot of flavor in his music. He had that kind of Large professor, even Q-tip influence at that point, I would say. But when he really broke through, um, I would say even before Reflection Eternal with Talib, really just producing on that Black Star album, the most deaf and Talib quality. Underrated. Definition and redefinition. I remember watching that because that's, that's probably the year I watched Rap City the most back in 98. I remember, I just remember how that video showed um, Definition. And then right when the song's about to end, you hear Redefinition. And it's like... Back then, I used to like Definition way more, but I probably like Redefinition a little bit more now. Just the way that that beat comes in, like it it goes either way. But I feel it, like yeah, it goes either way. But I I can see yeah. I can see you liking Redefinition a little more. 
Yeah, I feel like at the same time, it's kind of like a brother or sister song. You got to have both. You got to play both of them back right. to back. Like the way it comes in is it's just the perfect combination. But uh, with high tech, he, uh, after that, he had the uh, you know Reflection Eternal with Talib. And to me, I would say one of his best beats is still The Blast. The Blast is still one of just the most cold, smooth hip hop grooves. And he had his own style at this point. And one thing that I always look back and, and think about is that in that era, he had that kind of soulful, the East Coast-ish sound that had a little bit of a West Coast vibe to it a little bit, similar to Dilla. Him and Dilla both came from the Midwest. He was Ohio, Dilla was from uh, Detroit. And I would even say, like, folks forget that High Tech was way bigger than Dilla at that point. Yeah, way bigger. As far as it's by name, like, because High Tech had all these commercial songs that were getting played. Of course, he was with Raucous, so he, um, he, he was on sound bombing type albums. But then when he put out his solo, the High Technology, when he dropped that track with Janelle, that round and round, like classic, still, still, that song, like, still, you yeah. can put it on right now, and I'm, I'm going crazy. Yeah, like that song still, still bangs to to this day, and he had the remix, of course, with Met the Man on there as well. But, but just hearing that, like, it's crazy how even when I think about a lot of what we kind of attribute to that that Dilla, which was still a JD sound, I would say that kind of like slightly offbeat type of hi hat mm-hmm. type of cadence that was big in that era, and that. At that point, I was I would say high tech probably was the one who kind of dominated with that sound, especially commercially. It's where a lot of us had to really commercially, kind of dig especially. And, yeah, commercially, I would say like Adela yeah. was definitely right there with them. And I'm not sure that they even had any. Did they, did they have any songs together? I'm trying to think if they had any work that was together. I feel like high tech. I honestly with, don't yeah. think they had anything together. And I could be wrong, but I don't yeah. remember anything, any type of collabo, unless they were like silently producing or whatever. I don't. I don't remember. Yeah. Nothing comes to mind. That's what I'm thinking about, too, because they did have a similar type of sound uh, and, and some of the similar artists working with artists like Common as well. So they had yep. some of those similar um, parallels. And and with High Tech, uh, his most recent track, I would say that that got love was that Come Down for Anderson Pack. He actually produced that about six years ago. So he still he still has been active. He still has put out albums since that era. But I would say his peak was definitely in that 2001 era when he dropped that High Technology. And he had... He had three versions of that album. He had the, the third one was back in uh, 2007, but he had some credits too. He worked with everybody from Big L to Beanie to, he did a couple songs for 50. He did like the best friend and the writer music. And he did, um, one of my favorite songs from him was actually, of course, being LA is the East Siders. He, he did a song for the East Siders called Cool back in 2001. You got to play that one soon. Okay, if you I've heard that one. Okay. It's such a vibe. Like it's, okay. it's a high tech beat with that little kind of offbeat hi-hat, but yeah, cocaine and Nate Dogg and Butch Cassidy and Goldie Logue just vibing on it. Like it is just such a smooth track. Like everybody out here was riding to that. Like it wasn't even a club track. It was just something you ride to. But like, <laughs> yeah, he had he had some. He did have some bangers. And um, I think now that I think about it, he did have a couple songs with uh, Dilla that might have been released after Dilla died. I'm thinking about that right now. So, okay, okay, that makes yeah. sense because uh, yeah, you know, after Dilla died, um, there were a lot yeah. of people who would you know either praising him or releasing things that huh. they had worked on with him or he had worked on for them um yeah but i just i don't remember any at the time um especially time, like late yeah. 90s and early 2000s i don't remember any like word of any collaboration yeah yeah so it's one of those things that happened after dilla passed but definitely wish i could have seen that, seen that uh, collaboration happen but he definitely had a lot of a lot of dope tracks and he still still is making it to his day so salute to high tech for sure yeah, definitely salute. I mean, anytime you get people like Large Professor, people like High Tech, who, what, 30 plus years 
you know, can still be on top of their game and still doing like doing their thing and working with the biggest names. I'm not they're not, you know, a lot of people consider them to be underground in a way, but they're not really yeah. underground because they're working with the all the A-listers. They're actually working with it's true. You know, the yeah. people who are technically the better lyricists. Um, that's who they're working with. And I think Cream of the crap. Yeah. Yeah, they that's what that's what they go for. And I think a lot of people just they're not tuned in enough to appreciate it. And I think I want to get us more, get us to the place where people are appreciating that type of music. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So salute to both of those uh, legendary producers right there. So moving along, we have the fast forward segment. We like to highlight some artists who are making some waves in the game right now that we think have potential to, you know, make some, uh, make some noise out there. So EB for this episode, who would you like to pick? I'm going across the pond again. A Uh-oh. band. You love, you love, I, I, you love I can't say I can't stay Dang. out of it. I can't stay away. You know, it's a band yeah. from uh, Manchester, England, um, England, who have this special blend of jazz, R&B, gospel, funk, and soul. Um, they actually describe their sound as limitless, and they're called Secret huh. Night Gang. That is the name of the band, <laughs> Secret Night Secret Gang. Night Gang. Okay. That is their name. Um, the okay. front men for the band are uh, Kimani Anderson, who is the vocalist, and uh, Colum Connell tongue twister who is the saxophonist but they got together they started as a songwriting duo just those two and eventually they added a drummer a bassist a guitarist a producer um they just released their self-titled album last year um secret night game and it is just coming out of the pandemic you know it's really a reflection of that um and it's almost like a tribute to their favorite musician so if you listen to it, you will hear influences from like Sheik and Now Rogers, Quincy Jones, Stevie Wonder, Earth, Wind and & Fire. And it, they're all mm. beautifully written songs with this amazing live instrumentation is my favorite part. And I really think Kamani Anderson is a talented vocalist. So, um, you know, sometimes they get a, you know, what do they call like a standout member of the group who might yeah. work and do other things. And I really want him to do that. I don't want him to leave the group, but I would love yeah. to hear him being produced by somebody else's because i think he's a decent vocalist but secret mm. night gang that is the name of the band album was out last year i want everybody to check them out secret night gang so i'm assuming just because they're from uh from uh europe they, they i already know they have some soul to them i know they have some musicianship to them i know yeah. that they have some the songs are not just basic loops they have some bridges and some instrumentation like these are like Quincy Jones, Stevie Wonder, these are classically <laughs> written songs. The songs wow. have structure. They're not just um, chorus and stupid ass lyrics. Like <laughs> the song, you know, yeah. it, it's not made for TikTok. It's a, it's mm. an actual, they're actual composition. So everybody got to check them out. Definitely. So I'm definitely tuned in. As soon as you said they from across the pond, I said, <laughs> all right, you already, you already know what that means. So they, you know, they right, appreciate gotta... it more. I don't know they what really it do. is. They, they do. They really do. Because, I mean, we asked Estelle about that when we had her on. And yeah. it's the same thing. It feels like they they have a different ear for it. So I'm definitely, that's one of my plans this year is to get over to London. Yeah. Even if I don't have a gig, like if I could stop there coming from somewhere else or something. Yeah. I, 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 I want to check happening. out the music scene. I want to check out like the R&B. Yes, of course. But I want to check out the garage. I want to check out the uh, reggae over there. I want to check out like the old school record shops. Like yeah. they 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 have a culture that's steeped in music history, and I'd love to check it out, especially black music history and the sound yeah. of black, the sound of blackness, the sound of black UK people, you know, sound of Africa, the sound of black Americans. They got it. 
much. They really do. So salute to them for what they got going over there. I, I respect it all day. So yeah. for this one, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it right here home. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go to watch real quick. Um, my pick for this episode is Kenyon Dixon, yeah. aka Kenny Gasso, aka R&B Kenny. You know all whatever you want to call him. So Kenyon Dixon has been making waves for a while. He's um. Uh, initially, a lot of folks might have known him for his work with Tyrese, uh, whether it was background singing or writing for, you know, even with TGT Project. The, you know what happened with that, the Tank, uh, Genuine Tyrese Project. Yeah. Man. Rest in peace to that that whole group, Rest to that whole collective. To, uh, yeah. The potential to yeah. be great, man. Yeah, seriously. But but from there, uh, he he did uh, work. Um, he, he had some of his, his own projects back around. 2014 he had i think his first ep that was called 24 and uh even going back to his older projects you can tell that he had a different type of sound and appreciation and he was a type that just kind of held on to his to his guts like he he didn't say let me just try to find uh, what's trendy and hop on something that's wavy and and blow up with that like he just always made true pure soul music so it's, it's beautiful to see that eight years after he made that uh ep his first ep i should say um he's starting to get a lot more love so he's Always worked closely with Alex Isley. We know Alex Isley came from the Isley clan, of course. And mm -hmm. he's done a lot of background work with everybody from Kurt to Usher, Jill, Scott, Pharrell, even Nick Jonas, Timberlake, you know. So he he has a lot of names who he's worked with. But the last few years, he's really started to get way more recognition. He's been on some Soul Cyphers on like the, I want to say it was the Soul Trend Awards. He was on the Soul Cypher for that. He's been on the Terrell Grice show, of course. And it's funny seeing him on Terrell because Terrell is so animated and hype. And, and Kenyon is just so watched, so just laid yeah, back he and chill. But it, it, uh, he, he was chill, but he, you can tell he still enjoyed being on there. So right. it's still just, just dope to see that that contrast, the, the yin and yang type personalities. But one thing about him, he has a distinct style. He just has that real smooth, soulful voice where it kind of reminds me of like, I'm not going to say it's like how Jaheen was when Jaheen first came out, but he does kind of have a grown a grown-up adult presence to his music. So even hearing his singles, like I would say his main single is probably that Expectations with Alex Isley. And it has that kind of modern future soul sound to it, that that K Trinata uh Solation vibe to it. But it's it is a dope summertime type of anthem and he just floats on there. It's one of those things where he never forces his sound to fit into any box. And he actually got a Grammy nomination. He was nominated for uh, his performance on Bringing Home to Me. So he's Gotten some acclaim from the Grammys as well. And uh, just hearing him live, he's one of those artists too where he sounds great on the record and sounds great in person too. Like, I've never heard it where he missed a note in person. He hops on the stage. I've done some shows with him. And even during the warm up, he just walks out, one sip of water, and just sings it where it's like, all right, like he he's a natural at it. So so I think he has a, a lot of potential to really take over. I feel like, as we've said, the women have been killing the RB game the last few years and the men got to catch up. So I would say when it comes to these men, uh, uh, these male R&B singers, he's definitely top five right now for me when it comes to this this whole new breed of them. So I got a lot yeah. of faith in what he's doing. I mean, I and I get, I'm not saying that he sounds exactly like Jaheem, and I know that's not what you were saying, but I get the yeah. comparisons because I think he's a crooner as well. Um, yeah. And I think he has one of those voices that is timeless. I mean, he has a classic voice. I love like when he started teasing his uh, album uh, that he was like the world needed more R and B, which is true. Yeah, I, I, it's real. so true. Like the world does need more R and B, and I think that let me know that he was committed to bringing a true R and B project and not necessarily a project that was a mix of other genres. I'm not saying you won't hear the influence because he's definitely has that influence, but 
he really wants to release um, a solid project. And that's actually one of my highly anticipated releases from this year or at least from this month is hearing yeah. what, you know, what he's given us because man, I know like I was looking at the track list and he has a song called Marvin Gaye. Like and <laughs> you open yeah. up an album with a song called Marvin Gaye. And I think yeah. there's one on there and I'm not sure it's, it's I S L Y. And I'm in my mind, I was like, Oh, I just read Isley immediately. Yeah, I just oh, read Isley. Oh, I was okay, like, is, okay. is, is, is he paying tribute to Marvin and then the Isley Brothers? I don't know. But yeah. I was curious. I wanted to hear a lot more about it. Yeah, so he, uh, as of uh, the release of this episode, um, his album dropped May 5th called Closer. So he does have a new project. The last one he had last year was Expectations. So yeah, definitely definitely putting my stock in the Kenyon Dixon. So y'all got to check him out for sure. So from this point, we're going to have a quick break. We have an intermission and we'll be back. When we get back, we have a special guest who I've I've known for a while, as I've said, uh, known him since uh, birth, I would I would say. And then we're gonna be ending off with our infamous beat match. We're gonna see what sides you're gonna ride. We're gonna see if EB is gonna come back and give you with some fire. We'll see about it. But either way, um, we'll be right back for you. So we are back. This is Behind the Wheel. So today we have a special guest who, as I've been saying, I've known since birth, I would say. Um, he is my actual cousin, cousin. So for this episode, I would say that, you know, there's so many things that we can talk about. I'm like, what can we just, how can we keep it concise is the main issue because there's so many things that, that we can discuss, of course. But we have legendary hip hop artist MERS, M-U-R-S, MERS is in the building He's hailing from Los Angeles, California, just like me. You know, he's been doing this thing, rapping since since I've almost since I've known you. I mean, going back to at least '93, I feel like you're rapping back then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way back in the '90s, in 1900s, as my son says. Yeah. All the kids say that now. Yeah, I'm like y'all, y'all love with the snappers me, look. Yeah, it's like they they make us feel like we ancient out here now. So, so with you, um, I'll, I'll jump in with this. So. I'm going to apologize for like the third time for um, snitching on you back in 93. For anybody who's listening, basically, he was a huge Wu-Tang fan. So back in 93, I was I was definitely getting into, into hip-hop at the time. I, I really started getting into rap, I would say, 93. And I was I was a kid who was always kind of like the fake good kid. I wasn't really that good, but I tried to act good. So I remember he had the Wu-Tang. Um, uh, Wu-Tang actually autographed like the album. Was it Raekwon or who actually signed it for you? Raekwon, yeah. Raekwon, yeah. So I remember he he met Raekwon. He was hyping. Raekwon wrote whatever he wrote on the um on the album when he signed it. He cussed like go out there and kick some ass or something. And I told your mom, I was like, hey, uh, he had some cussing on his wall. And then your mom, your mom fake made you take it down just until I left. I'm sure. So you <laughs> no, know, she, would, being- she, was, she was for real, man. She's for real, oh, for man. Real? Yeah, she won't play <laughs> hey. that, man. Yeah, but you know, yeah, I, I, I still yeah. have that at my house to this day. That's wild to know, cause you you were like really the first person I knew back then to be like a a Wu Tang fan, cause being in L A at that time, like ninety three, that's when we really L A was really taking over. I feel like we had so much, we had everything from the Domino to Doggy Stylers has dropped to Cube was still doing his thing, the Far Side passing me by. The we had so much, but it was like for you to be a straight L A city kid, but it felt like even back then you kind of gravitated toward the East Coast sound a, a lot as far as what you were into, like how. How did that even happen with you? 
Oh man, I just I got tired of listening to genocide. It's funny because mm. I thought that Wu Tang was conscious, but Wu Tang is talking about drugs and killing. Yeah, I was about to say that. They but talking- um, <laughs> but it was yeah. just I was I got made fun of a lot because I watched Nine Hundred Two One Zero. I never watched Martin. I couldn't stand mm. living single. Like wow, L.A. Black people ruined everything black for me in such a way where <laughs> I wanted any escape mm. from anything that was black in L.A. I dealt with mm. Crips and Bloods every day. Motherfuckers calling me gay because I like to read. Like, literally. <laughs> you read? Nigga, that's gay. Read. <laughs> I'm like, huh? I'm like, what What do you mean, bro? And then, you know, yeah. like, me always constantly having to fight. So to me, anything outside of... And, like, I was really pro-West Coast. Like, when Dell dropped, I was super into Dale, that. Like, yeah. Because he was talking about my experience and getting made fun of riding a bus. And, like, he was... Cube's cousin, but he wasn't a gangster. He was from Oakland. He was very pro-black, yeah. but he wasn't ignorant and talking about killing. So like I was like, public enemy, X-Clan, where do we go? Mm. And I was like, oh, I can't really get with this. You know, I love Niggas for Life is one of one of the most underrated albums of all time. Yeah, that NWA. But yeah, yeah. I just felt like West Coast rap got lazy. Like Dre Ditch ran. So there was no more lyricism. DOC lost his voice. So there was no more lyricism. You know, and then I got into Freestyle Fellowship. I was very West Coast if it was lyrical. Yeah. I was very yeah. into the far side. I was very into the alcoholics. The licks. Just, yeah, the licks. I just wasn't say. into promoting the death. And at least with mm-hmm. East Coast rap, I understand people stick up kids. You're murdering for money. I understand drugs because you're trying to elevate your financial status. I didn't understand gangbanging. You know, I yeah. understood it, but yeah. I just couldn't understand promoting it. Because like we got yeah. the best weed and the best women, and then you want to rap about shooting up the club? I'm like, and not and not like it means now. Mm. Like it's yeah. funny how shooting up the club. <laughs> yeah. like, our slang changed yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. Like really shooting up the club. Like yeah, but for literally, bro. Yeah. Like because yeah. you are either a closeted homosexual or huh. angry at your dad or all the various reasons black men in a room full of women want to look at another man. I mm. never understood that. But then they, I, I was always the one that was called gay. And I was like, I don't understand. You want to hang out with a bunch of dudes all day and fight a whole other bunch of dudes over a street that neither one of y'all own. And I just want to make music and like write poetry to girls. But I'm, I'm, oh, okay, I'm gay. I get it. So it was, it was just all that stuff made me like, and when Snoop, when Deep Cover dropped, when Creep with me crawled through the hood, man, I was like, yo, this is Snoop Beastwood. Yeah. And nobody was checking for him. I had the chronic mm. the day it dropped, and no, and I was already smoking weed. I was a weirdo. I was smoking <laughs> weed. Another thing too yeah. is like I hung out with like real Crips because back then nobody smoked. Before Doggy That's Style, wild. yeah, the chronic. No, when the chronic dropped, kids in high school didn't know what chronic was. They were. I used to get told on by the same kids. They were like, "Nicholas is is high on drugs," and you know, <laughs> yeah. and the only people that smoked weed were the punk rock kids and Bloods and Crips that were like. Gang, real, mm. like, have been to the pen. So that was mm. my friends, like, the juvenile delinquents. And we would all smoke weed. So when the chronic dropped, I understood it. They was talking about, yeah. And so I was into that. But then when it got commercial, I was, these people, the kids, I like, they didn't know Dre from N.W.A. They, it was like Dre mm. was a new person to them. Like, West Coast yeah. kids, you know, a lot of West Coast kids my age and, and older and younger, their history of Dre doesn't go back to the um, the mix show and K-Day. They don't remember that. Wow. They, their Dre uh, is, because Dre wasn't a star in N.W.A. Unless you were a music head, 
He's like, a producer. Yeah, he's the producer. Right? And unless you were a music yeah. head thinking about beats, you weren't thinking about Dre. And producers weren't really stars uh, yet. Pete Rock yeah. was kind of mm. and Premier Pete Rock really was the first person to make producers stars. Because he did mm-hmm. a remix wow. to We Got the Jazz for Tribe Called Quest. He did They Reminisce Over You. He put his mm-hmm. name first on Peak Rock oh, and wow. CL Smooth. Like yeah. he had a signature to horns. Like people weren't checking for producers. Then I didn't Drace, think about that. Yeah. Drace switched up. Eric Sermon, he was kind of there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Th- this was the, the change. So when the chronic dropped, I was all over it. And then when I saw the like, to me, those are the nerves. Like the mainstream kids get on it. Like me mm. and the OG homies was on it. And then I was like, oh, y'all want to smoke weed now? And all of a sudden it became, hey, Nick, where can, where can I get some weed? And oh, yeah. And I was like, I want nothing to do with this fad. So then I, ne- yeah. I still haven't heard Doggy Style from front to back. I was Wait, just, what? Yeah, never. How? I just, how I, you? I got, we bought it the day it came out and I got so high that I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, what? I couldn't stand to see all these kids what? all of a sudden be in the weed and all of a sudden be Crips. I'm like, I know the real Crips. Like, those are my homies. Yes. Cause they don't bother me. They're not insecure. They're not picking on the nerd dude. Yeah. But I was like, all that's fashion crips and and fake fashion weed smokers. <laughs> so fake fashion. it wasn't that's, necessarily yeah. like the West Coast sound, like musically, like no. instrumental wise. It was just the the lyrical content of the yeah, East what, Coast kind of pulled you in. Yeah, like it was the lyric, and I like the sound of these. I love the production on the West Coast, and I love the production of the East Coast. I think mm-hmm. Dre was, um, you know, what I mean, but in, in the in the end, Dre. Kind of took the funk sound from Eric Sermon. You know what I'm right. saying? Dre wasn't revolutionary said that. with that. Um, and then when you get behind it, like Warren G was behind a lot of that. Um, Daz, yeah. Daz, yeah. So, but Dre has the ear, man. Like like George Clinton has the ear. Like Quincy has the ear. Like Puffy mm-hmm. has the ear. Yep. So, and he has a vision. Yeah. And that vision uh. went from I don't smoke weed or cess on Express Yourself <laughs> to all that smoke weed every day within three yeah. years. His life changed. <laughs> Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and, uh, it is real. It is real. And he was, and also he was in tune with the youth. Like you know, people Dre and Snoop aren't the same age by far. They weren't at all. But yeah, these young right. niggas came to his mansion with some blue rags and some and some dirt weed and shit got changed his life. <laughs> some dirt weed. <laughs> because then yeah. he had the money to yeah. upgrade. I'm sure Snoop and him wasn't smoking uh, good weed, but he they no. got Dre in the weed. Dre was like, I could, but I could afford this. We need the good shit. Yeah, we need yeah. The and then that I feel yeah. like. Being a you know weirdo, I, I feel like I might have even elevated Snoop's persona. Like, you know, you take Snoop mm. on stress and you take Snoop on chronic, and you're gonna get a whole different oh wow beast. I don't, I, I don't smoke, so I, I always hear about these different types of strains from music and from weed heads, but I never even thought about breaking it down at that level. So it's you better not because are... Ron Turner will <laughs> fuck you up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody listening, he's talking about he talking about Papa artistic. <laughs> Even today, but here's the funny thing how, how things has changed. Cause back in the 90s, anything marijuana was just the most illegal thing ever. But then a couple years ago, maybe eight, eight, nine years ago, my dad was using some type of cannabis oil to help out his like back problem. I'm no, like, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Yeah. No, yeah. he wasn't. He was. Papa artist was about to have a backyotomy. And- <laughs> I'm like, what, like where, where did this come from? Like, it's a whole what? new, whole new person. So, so that's still wild about about doggy style. So, so my thing that 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 got kind of crazy was okay. So you, I know you were doing everything back in the '90s, obviously, and hearing your story about how you were not as much into the hip hop. I mean, the, the West Coast hip hop, but you still were a fan of it as a whole, but just not as much as you were a lot of East Coast. But I remember back in '08, I got back from FAMU, and now you were working with Snoop and had songs with him and worked in the same camp and. That was wild to me because it was where like 
of course, like me and your brother and everybody else grew up as huge Snoop fans and obviously uh, huge fans of you. But y'all were like, we like y'all for totally different reasons. But it was crazy seeing how Snoop had evolved at that point where he was no longer just the super overly crypt out, overly smoked out rapper. And then even with you, it was like, even though you still had your underground basis, you're still talking about real life. It was like you had, you started working with Terrence Martin as well. And that was where you were making the melodic music that that was different. And um, I would say, how, how did things feel changing? And even with that, before we even get deep into that, I remember 07 when you made Dreadlocks. And I remember how it was controversial in a way that it wouldn't be today. But back in that era, I remember, of course, some of your fans were like, why is he trying to make a hyphy song? He's trying to jump on the on the trend, but on the flip side, the, the lyrics were the exact same lyrics you always use. You were talking about dreadlocks on a historical perspective, but <laughs> it was a hyphy beat to it. So it was like, I remember playing it for my homies from the Bay. They were hype about it. They was like, hey, who is this song, Merz? Like, that's your cousin? That's on Bang. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it was me getting away from LA and going to Oakland and then feeling like, you know, like at my core, I'm still a kid from LA and I tell you, you know, and as we talk, I want to make a disclaimer for anyone. If I say cuz, this is my cousin, but also yeah. he's my cousin. <laughs> so he knows how I talk. And, you know, I grew up in a crib neighborhood all my life, whether yeah. it's West LA or Linwood, like it's always been part of my natural way of speaking when I'm not in public, I could turn it off and on. So I don't offend anyone. Just like, yeah. you know, like, like black people, we got two, three different persons. You got your work personality, you got your home personality. Cold switching. Yeah. Yeah. Cold, cold, cold switching. All day. Yeah. So yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. With my aunties and my uncles and him, but with my cousins, I'm going to say cousin with my homies in my neighborhood. I'm going to say cuz. Um, all day. So I, so when I see your face, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not in my podcast persona. I'm in my, my, you my, ain't gotta be. my guard my right now. Yeah. Yeah. But but That's yeah, when I got right to now. LA, I mean when I got to the Bay, I was like, I thought everything was California. And it was they was like blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah. And I remember yeah. having um one of my homies, I was staying with him. He's from my neighborhood. So I come I said, come outside real quick. I said, hey cuz, I was like, you gonna let these niggas blood us on? It was some girls. I was like, you gonna let these bitches blood us? I was like, I'm not saying cuz, why are they pressing us? Like I was like, I can't take too much. I yeah. believe, bro. And he was yeah. like, he just started laughing. He's like, they mean like family food. I was like, that's the culture. That's the I culture. Like, and so being that, it made me stick to my LA roots. And like, yeah, I was in mm. the East Coast hip hop for maybe three years, but I was raised with, you know, Bloods and Crips and, you know what I mean? And like, I like Snoop's second album. I never heard Doggy Style, but I bought Snoop, I bought everything the day it came out. I had dog food, I had yeah. all that. I just didn't put it in rotation. But when Snoop got with, with Uncle Charlie, I felt that was a new sound. When Snoop got oh, away nice. from Dre, yeah, he was more Snoop to me. Yeah. You know, he had mm. Trey D on the track, like, and that's a Trey D reminds me of the dudes I used to smoke with, like, yeah, cause <laughs> dudes too. for the niggas in the hood, the dub, what up? He's naming real streets, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, oh was, shit, though. and that's like, you know, I still went with Nate on Crenshaw every weekend. That's my little brother, so I was hearing like, I love Jo Felony, I love E40, yeah. I love just the more authentic, not the mainstream West Coast. You know, like I get that, yeah, yeah. With Chronic 2001 drop. I felt like no one here was really listening to that. We were listening to Corrupt. Look, I was trying to tell somebody on Twitter that they're not trying to listen to it. And I'm going to say, like, I have some homies who are not black. They're still the homies. But <laughs> I was saying it. I was saying that in L.A. in 99, we liked 2001. We loved it. We love Let's Get High and all that. But a lot of L.A. natives like Corrupt Streets as a Mother even more because that yeah. was a more true L.A. album. But they're trying to tell me it. And one dude who's not black who... Not even from LA was like, nah, I was out here. That's not true. I, I was with celeb. I don't care what celebrities you was with. No, if you were really in LA, if you were yeah, really you driving the down Crenshaw and yeah. 
exposition, like you you heard more corrupt girls the, the on motorcycles, pause. yeah. Like yeah, in girls the club, on pause and that drop, yeah. Like, man, you can't name a club right banger really us? off of off a of, off of two thousand and one. Yeah, only let's get high. Aside from let's get high. You didn't really hear nothing. You, you ain't hear forgot about Dre at the club. club yeah, I guess you know what? No, yeah. what's the one? Um, yeah. The, 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 yeah. The, 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 um, explosive. Well, explosive. Explosive. Explosive yeah. was hit. But who was on that? Yeah. The voice of the LA streets. Yeah. Corrupt mm. at the time. Ah, ah. Good point. You know what I'm saying? Good Only point. thing corrupt kept yeah. corrupt from going was he did calling out names. Ooh. And that's, that's e- e- what e- stopped have, him. EB, have, e- have you heard that before? I have not. Ah, ah, so all out name. name. Ah, so all out name. So you so you remember um so you probably heard about how Corrupt was dating Foxy Brown and how DMX basically yeah. had his thing with her. So calling calling out names is I almost want you to hear it before I explain it. Yeah, you should, like, we, we, yeah, we can't. It's like it's like okay, like it's a beat if 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 hit him up overly West it, Coast beat. Yeah, overly. if hit him up yeah. is 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 like a mainstream horror flick. Calling yeah. Out Names is a B movie. Like it's not, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles. Yeah, yeah. It's like an unfiltered. And the thing about, so the thing about Calling Out Names, I'll say it for everybody who's tuned in. Like if you, I'm sure most of my listeners have probably heard it, but if you haven't, you you know about the beef, you know that Corrupt was about to, was about to diss them. So you you see it, it's probably that real player era when, when, a uh, real player was like before we had YouTube and title, you'll hear music on real player. <laughs> you remember that? It was an app called Real Player. So yes. I think everybody who heard it, I think all of us had the same reaction that we probably forget about because the way he sets it up, because you know he's about to diss uh DMX, but with that, it's like we still aren't that far from hit him up. So we still kind of in the East yeah, Coast, West Coast. We we're think, not far we from the death of two of the, the biggest death. rappers. Yeah, yeah. So we still we on edge thinking. It still can go anyway, even though we had Thicker Than Water with Mac, Mac 10 and Fat Joe getting, getting together. We had a lot of East Coast, West Coast collabs at the time, but we still felt like at any moment it, it might separate. So the first time I heard I heard the song, he's talking. He said, I love New York, but the niggas that represent show ain't shit in New York. They acting like a bitch, New York. I'm already like, okay, all right, what's about to happen? And he said, Buckshot, Noriega, Jigga. Everybody's heart stopped. Then he said, cool. Cannabis Wu-Tang, my niggas. Cool. And it's like, ah, I'm relieved now. I thought he's about to diss all of them. The way he set it up was to make you think he's gonna diss all of them, but he said, cool with them. But then he said, a death, death squad, death jam, but fuck Ja Rule. So th- so basically he disses Ja Rule. He diss he said he, he rocks with the locks and all them, but he dissing DMX, dissing Foxy, dissing Irv ja Gotti. Irv Gotti, yeah. Irv Gotti. Sign Dash, nigga, Dash sign, sign you. you. Yeah. Yeah. Man, so it was, it's like he started the whole yeah. song with. Niggas with hepatitis. I'm like, what, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, wait, wait, hold on. Yeah. So this yeah. was a diss track for DMX, yeah. or was yeah. this uh, like everybody like? No, just DMX, Irv Gotti, and Ja Rule, but mostly DMX. Yeah. Which yeah. is, it was on from a street perspective. Allegedly, it's Rough Riders and Rolling Sixties, and I was like, oh mm. fuck. Mm. Niggas, is, niggas just died, I and I feel part. like more yeah. niggas is about to die because these are two street yeah. institutions that are extremely reputable. Yeah, that it was like it was. I haven't felt that way until I heard what is the um Pusha T diss track to Lil Wayne, Exodus oh, uh, twenty five, whatever. Seven. Oh yeah, yeah. The yeah. niggas ain't dying for you. I was like, mm. that scared me. I was like, same okay, kind of thing. Yeah, these are cash money. You talking mother- street? Yeah. 
It's taking the street. You when somebody that's like corrupt is capable of being very lyrical. Tupac is wasn't capable of the lyrical ferocity that Biggie was. So he yeah. had to yeah. go like all he could say was, "I fucked your wife, you fat motherfucker." And we're like, "Whoa!" <laughs> you know, that's true. But that's true. For to yeah. me, for corrupt to come in at that level, not on a he didn't lyrically try to destroy DMX. He came personal. Niggas with hepatitis, yeah. like, oh, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Sid, I didn't did. need to know. I don't even know yeah. if it's true. Rest in peace. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I'm like, <laughs> why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why are we you back out, to here? Like, why you came out the get, gate. You, you know? came out the gate with that. Yeah. So I feel like, like that was that was one of those moments that because there was no social media, that's crazy that like Eb never heard it. But I'm not really shocked because I mean, it, well, it was no I social think, media. I mean, so the rumor was, is that yeah. Leon Cohen made sure you didn't hear it, mm, and, and that I dropped that. He said, okay. if you want, he told Radio, if you want. The next Foxy Brown, the next DMX, the next Jay Z record, you better yeah. not touch this corrupt record. Ooh, That's, okay. that was the okay. rumor. Okay, um, and I think you know, I think it's you know, it's all fair and love and war, like you know. But yeah. I think that's what stopped that record. But on the West Coast, like on that most hitting track off of two thousand and one was Explosive because we were all yeah. listening to corrupt. If you're driving, a, if you're in a cameo mm. cleaners parking lot on a Sunday, <laughs> this yeah. is what's playing. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to Venice yeah. Beach on a Sunday, this is what's playing. If you at Rally Burger, this is what is playing, you know? And yeah. I always stayed in touch with that because, you know, my brother, I have no choice, you know? Yeah. And that's they all about from. that, yeah. So like, I'm like, Nate, I never yeah. stopped liking West Coast rap. I just never fuck with mainstream West Coast rap. And there's a distinction yeah. between the mainstream and what the culture is really hitting on, like the underground scene, the two total different things. The mainstream, they tend to gravitate towards what will sell and what sells is mm -hmm. bullshit most of the time. <laughs> not yeah. all the time. Yeah. I'm not trying to diss nobody, but most of the time. So I can I can definitely see why you would gravitate away from the mainstream West Coast because yeah. it's the same on the East Coast. Like a lot of people kind of mm. distance themselves from that mainstream. You know, once you get commercially famous or once you hit that commercial peak, you lose yeah. fans. And it's because yeah, you're not sure. really rocking with your core anymore. Maybe right. that's what your your experience was. Like, you know, you got tired of hearing the shit. Like, they weren't rocking with the core of what you, as somebody who was from L.A., thought L.A. was. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't think that that was what, you know. And at that point, it's like rightfully so. Like, we didn't have space for black pop artists. But at that point, I feel mm. like Dre hadn't been in the hood in a long time. Why would, Why should he be? You know, I'm not. Yeah. Down. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I'm, in, I'm, I'm living off of Pico and... La Brea, Pico and Hauser. I'm going down to Crenshaw. I'm eating at Earl's. Like I'm going to the slots and swap me still. Like I'm in and out of these places, not for cred or anything, but it's just my habitat. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. the chronic 2001 didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like mm -hmm. LA. It felt like a version of what, you know, the Dre is a, a, a I hate using the term king because it's European. Jay, Dre is a chief. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's not in the trenches. Uh -huh. I was in the trenches and that wasn't was what the chief is making doesn't usually resonate in the trenches. You know what I mean? Right. right. And wow. I think Snoop was his go between. You know what I mean? But at that, like, when you look even the first single off 2001, it was written by Jay Z. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, you know, you know, He's by Scott Storch. Yeah, yeah, Scott Storch did yeah. the most recognized. That has nothing to do yeah. with me. That has yeah. nothing wow. to do with wow. anything. So, and it's okay. He was a West yeah. Coast yeah. pop star. People right. need to yeah. see Dre more like Puffy and Will I Am. Then like 
Snoop or you know at the time like Jelly Roll was smashing, Meech Wells was smashing, like Battle Cat, yeah, Battle, Battle Cat, was like these all are people, in that era. Yeah, and you say their names and you kind of know where they're from. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Jelly Roll Studios off Adams and La Brea. You know what I'm saying? Meech got yeah. all kind of family members that I know from street shit. You know, yeah. his baby mama is from blah blah blah. Like I, I was connected to. They were connected to what was going on. Dre wasn't, and that's not a diss to Dre. So right. for me, but. If you want the mainstream to know what, if you're going to birth the next rap god, which is Eminem, and like that stamped Eminem. Eminem was on, but that stamped him. Oh. That gave him the bridge to the black community. Still didn't yeah. give him a club <laughs> banger, which he has none of, but <laughs> he, he, never not... he never will. Yeah, yeah. He never will. I'm, I'm hoping yeah. for him, man, because I think that's the He's one, thing, that's the one thing that keeps him out of the GOAT category. But I think mm. he needs to get with like Mumford and Sons or something, because that's the only way he's going to. I always tell a, a true generational slap is something that could be played at a wedding. Mm, real. It's real. Like, it's real. ain't no fun come yeah. on. Your auntie's still dancing at the reception. You know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? There's yeah. many Jay-Z yeah. songs that could go that way. There's many, Yeah. you know, there's, but... Biggie, yeah, it's true. Yeah. M is probably the only one who don't have it. Only in one in that, in that echelon yeah. that doesn't. And I'm I'm hoping that before it's all said and done, that maybe Detox will get them one. You know what I'm saying? I think it's Eminem, and, Eminem yeah. and Kendrick somewhere, you know, because mm. I think Kendrick could use another one, but I'm not. Kendrick's not even near done, so I know he got a couple. Yeah, you know? yeah, but, he got a couple of things there. Yeah. But yeah, I always stuck with the West Coast. I was just needing a bridge, and Terrace Martin was that bridge. Terrace Martin and me are like twins, except for he went yeah. this way. So when I my manager was somebody I grew up with named Ted Chung, and he managed Snoop, and but he didn't manage Snoop yet. He was just working with Snoop. When I got my deal with Warner Brothers, the first time I needed a manager in my life. So I said, I okay. called Ted. Yeah. I said, Ted, you know this business. We've been friends since high school. He was in the underground rap. I said, Ted, can you manage me? And him and Russell Rideau. Russell, of course. Yeah, yeah. so Double R, yeah. who was managing, yeah. I think, Tyrese at the time and some other things, they teamed up to represent me at Warner Brothers. And they also were working with a kid named Terrace Martin, who had just done the first, I think, Doggy Style compilation, Doghouse Records compilation. Doghouse. He was on two and three album in 042. He did yeah. the joystick on there. And yeah, yeah. So he was he was coming up, but he was to underground rap what I was. He was to gangster rap what I was to underground rap. He was the youngest dude in mm. all those rooms. I was the youngest dude going to the good life and Project Blowed and all these things. And he was respected in that lane as, as an artist, you know, and I was yeah. respected in my lane. But the connection was Ted and Russ. Cause he worked with them and he, I think they're kind of managing him, but our other connections, I sit, I'm sitting in the, I never seen Terrace Martin, I knew his name. And he go, Hey nigga, <laughs> you live in Mansfield hood, huh? And I was like, huh? <laughs> Wait, my baby mama <laughs> live next door to you. I was like, such and such. He's like, yeah. And so then uh, from shit. then on Terrace, yeah. he's like, niggas think that you're weird. He's like, but I know I've seen you outside with the niggas. That's really, you. I know you really outside. So he's like, when yeah. I got my budget, I gave we gave Terrace a bunch of money. He started bringing in Marlon, and he started bringing in you know all these people. And he's like, and then first thing he would say like, "Hey, this nigga from Mansfield." I'm like, "Bro, shut up, <laughs> chill out, chill out, chill." E B uh, Mansfield's a crip hood out here. Yeah, yeah. so he, I'm okay. like, I'm yeah. not, yeah. I'm not. I live in yeah. West LA, and then that would start the conversation. You know, he he got to the point where he, it'd be gang members in there. He say that, and somebody like, "Hold on, hold on, yeah, hey, you yeah. know this nigga, you know this weird nigga named Nick." And they'd be like, that's the big homie, cuz. And they're like, so, like, <laughs> you're good, you're all good. But yeah. he thrust me into this world where people didn't think. That's and then at crazy. the same time, I found out like corrupt and all these other dudes didn't think that 
the underground lyrics, West Coast lyrical dudes fuck with them. So that's how mm. I started booking them for paid dudes. I was like, man, come on. Oh, paid dudes. You got to talk about paid dudes for sure. Because I so feel I'm like, like, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, was, I, was like, I was like, man, Rock the Bells Festival, the original Rock the Bells Festival was only like Wu-Tang and all this East Coast stuff. And then my business, yeah. my business partner was the guy who founded that. So when I got to my fifth year of paid dudes, I was like, look, man, Corrupt and Raekwon are the same to a lot of us, man. Like, we grew up mm. on both, a lot of us. Let me put Dog Pound and Raekwon on the same bill. You know, all the gangbangers. Wow. I was like, man, stop. It's going to be good. Mm. Then I started bringing Quick around. I just started, like, using that to be... And then I start like, booking Kendrick and Dom and Nipsey. And I'm like, these are... And we kind of just started merging. I started merging my worlds because I just wanted... Like Nipsey, I like Nipsey because Nipsey was authentic. Like I said, I just don't. Yeah. I like the pop stuff from the West Coast, but pop gangster rap is just not for me. I've yeah, been around yeah. too much real shit to like and truly enjoy it the way I shouldn't enjoy <laughs> Nipsey. You know what I'm saying? But I do. The way you shouldn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, I I feel it because there's an authenticity to it that wouldn't and shouldn't resonate on the pop charts. But Drake knows how to take that, that authenticity that. and sell it. That's his brilliance. He could. Shine it up, you know. I, everybody mm. can is a testament to like this record was produced by something, but until Dre mixed it, it wasn't a hit. Till he mixed it, made it there, yeah. And so I, it's that's just facts. that's not my. Uh, you look at how I dress, how I look. Like I'm not a, I'm not a shiny dude. I'm not. I like dirty, authentic, and that's why what what appeared appealed to me about the Wu Tang, you know, like mm. it was dirty, it was grimy, and on the West Coast, dirty and grimy stuff wasn't selling. The mm. Wu Tang. Puffy created a need for that. The shiny suit created right. a need for Wu Tang exactly. to balance it out. The West Coast, hmm. Dre didn't. He he knew he knew how to finesse it. You could get both. It was pop, but it was still grimy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't yeah, take the crip out of Snoop. You could gloss up the crip on Snoop, but you can't take <laughs> you that never out of take there. it out. Never. That's real. Gloss it up. I mean, because. Super Bowl was definitely a glossed up. That was the most glossy crip thing ever. They had choreographed crip walking. So as you said, it's like and it got it got a pass because it's Snoop. If it had been somebody else, it's like if that had been somebody else performing with some crip walkers who was choreographed, it wouldn't work. So yeah, that's, it, yeah, it wouldn't that makes work. all the sense. Yeah, and that's, and that's Dre's. You know, Puffy, Puffy did it with Biggie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah. after Biggie yeah, he passed, did. he didn't. It's because it takes a very special person to, to do what Dre does. And what Puffy did with Biggie, and to mm -hmm. do it again, it's a one in a million chance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Dre hasn't done it since. It hasn't been done since. I mean, yeah, I mean, he had game, and game was it was way different. It was different. game is not. Yeah, but times different. were different. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Times were different at that point. Yeah. If he could have had game and Snoop at the same time, like yeah. a, a a universally, and I, I guess I have to say pause for the homophobic listeners. But a universally <laughs> sexy gangbanger, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Woo! yeah. It would have yeah. been over. Yeah. That's real been, though. Like that time. Biggie yeah. wasn't sexy, you know what I'm saying? Nope. And and Pac mm. wasn't really rooted in gang culture like that. He was a thug, but he wasn't a blood or a crip, you know? Not yet. Yeah. He was becoming a blood. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And it, he wasn't really from it yet. Yeah. Yeah. And so like that that would have killed the game if if Snoop could take his shirt off like Game did and still be a crip. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been over if Biggie could have if Biggie could have yeah. went shirtless like Pac. Like there was, mm. the, but I think also East Coast when they when that line that line Jay Z who's the best MC Biggie Jay Z or Nas. No one in the projects in LA was talking about that. 
we might mm-hmm. start be having a conversation. Hood niggas do not in LA do not give a fuck what you're saying. Nobody would. Wow. I was listening to Stranded wow. on Death Row like, ooh, corrupt killed that shit. No yeah. one else. There was no one to have that conversation with. I mean, because Corrupt was talking about that on one of his uh, interviews about how even when he got with Snoop, they met battling. But he said Corrupt came from from Philly, so he was more lyrically battling. And then Snoop was being just super laid back, talking about lowriders and this and that during a battle. But the crowd <laughs> being LA, I gravitated towards Snoop because it was this it fit the vibe. But, but Corrupt was over their heads almost because it was like like it was really a whole set. It was segmented back then. It was where like you said, LA had the Project Blow, the Licks, all these artists who had the lyricism to them, but the average person who's riding around was not really uh, playing it the same way. And I guess it's somewhat comparable for Atlanta with Outkast versus how now it's the future Gucci Man era. Even though Future came from Dungeon Family, it's where a lot of fans who love the trap, Atlanta don't like Outkast as much. Like they damn near did see them as weirdos, even when they were at their peak. It was like, mm-hmm. that's not representing what we are yeah. on a daily. Mm-hmm. If, they had, so, a, if yeah. they had an option, they wouldn't have chose Outkast. Outkast yeah. went hard because. Atlanta had no other choice. They had to. Right. Like, mm. fuck it. We with them. Yeah. And the, yeah. the whole nation rock with it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah so, uh, oh, yeah. But before we head out, we got to talk about paid dues real quick, too. So, so for anybody who is not familiar, you mentioned it real quick. You mentioned it. And that was a backstory that I didn't even think about. How um, I'll say this like, Rock the Bells is one of the original festivals that really is the reason that there's so many festivals today. We talk about it almost as a joke. It's a festival every weekend now nationwide. But the way you mentioned it, paid dues is really the one that did bring different types of rappers together. Because like, as you said, Rock the Bells was more so kind of the East Coast, the lyrical, same kind of era, same 90s-ish era. Paid dues. And I'll, I'll thank you once again for putting me on paid dues as the stage DJ in 2013, because that's really what really broke me out here. And, and you had me on stage DJing where, of course, the main stage is Kendrick, but we had Dom Kennedy, Nipsey, um, problem uh we had um joey badass we had trinidad james juicy j and as you said like at that time nine years ago it wasn't that many concerts that brought that many different artists and generations together at one time so like how was it as far as just how you created that and then even how it ended up dissolving like how did that whole process feel to you like it was um it was just a need i went on a warp tour and um, I always tell my my homeboy Atmosphere, who took me on the tour. Yeah. With, um, he took me on work tour, and I was just around white people like I'd <laughs> never been in my life. It was a whole summer. But like, there was yeah. a band called Sum Forty One, and they're one of the biggest. They were the number one punk band at the time. Yeah. And at mm. night, they were having barbecues, pouring shots for people, kicking it. I was like, man, we need this, bro. Like, yeah. At that point, still, like I knew. It was, you know, I didn't know Snoop yet, but I knew Snoop was around like that. I knew Dub was around like that. Like, I felt like if I could bring everybody together, like I burned records off Pico, like everybody would come through, Wu-Tang come through, like everybody, you know? So I was like, man, we like to just all smoke and eat. Why don't we have more things like this? And also for my, for my genre, for underground rap, independent rap, there was Summer Jam for commercial rap, but there was no Mm -hmm. concert for hip hop. A 13-year-old, 11-year-old, I saw like them getting dropped off by out of minivans. White kids, young white kids getting dropped off. Oh, it's Vans Warped Tour. Let the kids go. And same mm. thing as Summer Jam, but it wasn't as safe in L.A. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that was a big thing in the but 90s, too. young kids went yeah. to Summer Jam, and then you went back to school like, oh, I saw 50 Cent, or I saw Jay-Z, or I saw whoever was hot in R&B and rap and mainstream. But we weren't going to have a future until we built a festival like that. So I met the dude who did Rock mm. the Bells one day on a humbug, and I was like, yo, I got this idea. We need like a warp tour for independent hip hop. 
I know you mm. rock the bells has the nineties and the mainstream, but I, I think in the first one I had to perform three times, like, cause there wasn't enough indie wow. groups, but wow. as I start doing wow. it, I start hearing things like, Oh, there's these kids called um, black hippie and this kid named Kendrick Lamar. He got this song pussy Patron and Nip started doing his thing. Terrace put me on the that. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, hustle in the house that just dropped. I'm hearing about Dom Kennedy. I'm like, Mm-hmm. I need yeah. a platform. I need to expand this platform. First, it was just indie backpack hip hop. And my goal was to have all independent rap. It was supposed to be Def Jux, Hieroglyphics, Living Legends, and Rap A Lot. Because that okay. was, and okay. I was like, yo, let's get Ghetto Boys, yeah. Devin, and one other group from Rap A Lot. Let's get three acts Aesop Rock, um, Merce, and Mr. Lift. Let's get, you know, Souls of Mischief. You just mix it all up. But all the, you had to be independent. And then okay, from there, okay, I get that. You know, one day I'm at in DC at the Rock the Bells, and I'm backstage, and a little white kid comes up to me and he's like, "I want to do pay dues one day." And he gives me his mixtape, and his mixtape called Kids, and his name is Mac oh, Miller. Oh wow, wow! And I'm like, "Yo!" And I wow. got in the car, and you know, DC traffic, the worst thing ever. Oh, ever. DC is worse than LA. I don't ever. Care. Yeah. So I'm like, man, yeah. I got shit to listen to in this rental. Let's put in this kid's demo. And I looked at my ex-wife, and I was like, "Oh, this kid's out of here. This kid. <laughs> oh my god." It was wow. me and Wale talking. Wow. I'll never forget. He waited till we finished talking. He was like, "Yo, check this out," and I and I and I booked him for paid dues, and it was just like wow. Wow. I just started doing like A and R shit, and my career started tanking after that because I was so focused on listening to who was next. You know what I'm saying? Like I was I was at the first mm. Odd Future show at the Roxy, wasn't even sold out. Wow! And afterwards, wow. I'm like, "Bam, y'all want to do paid dues?" Yeah, you know? yeah. And as the story goes, I don't know if it's true, but I I was there. Like Tyler wasn't trying to hear me. He's like, oh, we doing Coachella. But Paul Toilette, who founded Coachella, was a mentor of mine. He let me shadow yeah. him for a couple of pay, um, um, Coachellas and just learn the business on how to yeah. throw a festival. And he will always, because there's something called a radius clause. So if an artist is doing Coachella, they can't do a, a, a show within 100 or 200 miles, 120 mm-hmm. days before and 120 days after. Wow. I was but thinking for, of something like that. But okay. for me, okay. he would lift the radius clause. So like Little okay. Brother, okay. they were doing Coachella. And then they were able to come into the region and get two checks. So I told our future, I was like, y'all can mm. do both. I'm the one person who could get you out of your radius clause with Coachella because Paul, shout out to him. He's so kind. And yeah. he knew that my little festival wasn't fucking with his Coachella said. It wasn't going to be a threat. Nope. Yeah. So yeah. He, was, he was always kind. And um, he didn't do it. Tyler and them told me, nah. I was like, all right. Uh, but then okay. they were thinking okay. it was some backpack shit. And then the next week, my assistant was their um, tour manager. My assistant became their tour manager. And he's yeah. like, he started telling them about, he's talking about pay dues. He's like, man, they had Lil B, the bass guy, Nipsey, E-40, and Blackstar. And he was like, what? <laughs> I thought it was just some backpack shit. I was like, nah. And so he's like, yeah. I'll do it next year. So the next year was one of our, to me, our best year because I got to do Dipset, Odd Future, Wu-Tang, Hieroglyphics, <laughs> Bootcamp Click, Living Legends, and just put it all, Mac Miller, Kendrick Lamar, like Ooh. Section 80 Kendrick Lamar, right when he dropped that. like It was like the perfect yes. storm. And it was yeah. all at levels. And that's why I get, you know, and then Tyler was like, I want one. He's like, yeah. I want a best Tyler, Okay, yeah. And I, that's, that's what, real. as a black that's man, real. that's all I can hope for is that I can inspire someone. But right. my only thing, and, and Tyler used to do some cool shit, like have a French band and Migos. And like, but like <laughs> rolling loud, you're only going to see one type of thing. How the West yeah, was won, yeah. you're only going to see one type of thing. And that's what yeah. makes me like. I was thinking Coachella. I was thinking Warp Tour because Warp Tour would have hardcore bands and pop punk mm. bands. It would have all kind of punk rock. It just didn't have mm. pop punk. You know what I'm saying? 
And same that. thing yeah. with Coachella. You're going to see all types. Well, now they kind of just have pop rap. But, you know, I've done Coachella four mm-hmm. times before niggas even knew what that was. Oh, wow. And it was wow. like, you know, it was it was different brands. You know before what I'm saying? Before it was mainstream to, to black audiences especially. Yeah, so now they just- Before the Stallion and all that. So, yeah, yeah. Like, you, you couldn't put Foxy Brown on Coachella when I was doing Coachella. You know what I'm saying? Like it would it wouldn't happen. It was like all authentic underground kind of vibes, indie rock, and then main like if it went pop, it was Red Hot Chili Peppers. But I don't even consider them okay. pop. You know what I'm saying? Like Red Hot Chili yeah, Peppers yeah. is like what Red Man is to black people. Red Man could go <laughs> triple platinum, but he's still under. That's real. You know still, what I'm saying? Yeah. There's he's a, still authentic a, a, authenticity to, to it. So yeah. that was Coachella. Now Coachella kind of jumped the shark, and it's a pop festival. It's like a huge summer yeah. jam. But yeah, that's is. when I, yeah. my, my inspiration was that. And so my challenge to this generation is like, yo, do something where you include everybody. So that mm. like my beauty, my beauty, when I, people hated Odd Future because Odd Future dissed underground rap. They dissed the moral technique and I still booked them. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow. you guys don't get to dictate what hip hop is, especially when there's a black man in control. But kids coming to me and say, yeah. my dad. Just got to see Wu Tang that day, and I got to put him on the Odd Future that day. Mm. I became a Wu Tang fan. My dad became an Odd Future fan. Like, that bridge, that bridge is yeah, important. That generational yeah. bridge, and nobody's doing that. Everybody's stuck yeah. in the back in their zones. And I, it was really difficult for me to do pay dues, and eventually it dissolved. Not we had our biggest year last year. We did thirty thousand plus tickets. 2013. Yeah, Man, that was legendary. Black yeah, hippie. Right when Macklemore yeah. hit with Thrift Shop, he was number one on the charts, and Kendrick yeah. was number one, and Black hippie and it was just it was a perfect storm, and then yeah. after that, my my partner had some financial difficulties with Rock the Bells that affected pay dues. But honestly, by then I was tired of doing pay dues because it had just gotten too big. It had gotten to the mm-hmm. point where I lost myself as an artist, mm-hmm. and you know, and it was just it was it wasn't what I dealing with artists is a very thankless job, and it was just like I believe you know, and then you know, yeah. like and for me yeah. too, I also like. Without that bridge, like you know, you know my brother. It was like motherfuckers would start talking crazy, like you know what I'm saying. Like mm. and I'm like, I'm, I may look like that guy, I may like be, but my family, you can't do that to me, bro. And so I was like, yeah, don't threaten yeah. me and try to get on the bill, and don't try to show up with a bunch of people because I'm gonna meet you at every level. And so it just got to a point where it was too many politics, and um, as my agent says, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. And mm. so I like that. when when it went away, That's I was kind of happy. I was like, man, like you're relieved, though. Yeah, I was sense. like, it's I mean, good. I did what I came to do. Um, and I, I sacrificed my career for that festival. And my only wish yeah. is that I wish Rolling Loud would combine with whatever LLs do or rock the bells now. It needs to be both. It needs to be Lil mm. Uzi and LL on the same festival. Understood. I get that. I get that. Because no, like you said, no black kid, the, and no, as much as they like Lil Uzi, is going to go, ugh, I'm not going. That's right. what black people don't realize. Like, no old person is going to go, ugh, Lil Uzi performing. They're going to see LL and mm-hmm. rock. They're going to go. They yeah. think planets, LL cool. I'm going. I don't care who's on the other stage. And that's what people yeah. would say. I would always structure the bills so you would never be forced to choose between Mob D and Souls of Mischief. You could go see Mob Deep because Trinidad James is playing at the same time as Mob Deep on the other stage. It made sense, yeah. And for concessions, and I'll break it down just so motherfuckers can understand, for concessions, that's great because you're forcing people to migrate from stage to stage. And in between, they're going to get a beer. In between, they're going to buy merch. (laughs) So it's great for the vendors. It's great for the crowd. And it's great great for the people who just want to get to the front and... 
but you know, at that point, our kids like, I peed in a cup just so I could see see Kendrick. And these were the same kids that yeah. when Kendrick opened for me at House of Blues, I watched them go like this. So what? Mm, and now, same kids too. Same kids. Same ones. And now, like, man, I peed yeah. in a cup just so I could be in the front row for Black Hippie. I was like, bro, you guys. Yeah. It's so it's, it's just it's um it's unfortunate that it went away. Um, I think you know whether people want to acknowledge it or not is definitely a, a key element as to why the West Coast from that era blew up. And, oh, for um, sure, for sure. And I'm happy they came with, yeah, because we yeah. came. We finally had our different lanes, like New York. Now we exactly. have a Tiger, I was gonna say that. a Kendrick, a Snoop, a YG. There's we finally a Tiger here, uh, yeah, Vince Staples. It's like, a t- Tiger. I nah. met Tiger. Yeah, because he was cousins with Travi McCoy from Gym Class Heroes. He was, and he was yeah, opening on the paid dues stage <laughs> in 08 at Rockabells wow. doing an Obama song, Obama, 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 and put the lime in the coconut. Wow, wow! And he, I remember but that backstage, early, early he was yeah. with a gang of hood ass niggas, and I was like, "Yo," because <laughs> you know, like I walk yeah. into a room on Rock the Bells, we in Maryland, and I'm like, "Who are these like Compton niggas?" Fuck. Like, you can you know, tell you can see as soon as you first. see him. Yeah, I'm like, as soon as you see him. Because it's like Ghostface eating cereal over here. They're like the backstage <laughs> of Rock the Bells are crazy. Feral Monch is right yeah. here getting some whatever, some waters. And I was like, these yeah. niggas don't belong. <laughs> who the fuck? Yeah, who are these? How, how y'all get over here? I'm like, yeah. how you on stage doing the lime and the coconut? And and so I seen, but it was it he was on yeah. the paid due stage along with Slum Village, along with Pete Rock, along with Raekwon, along with me. <laughs> And it was like along with Tech Nine, and I was like, "This is." And it all always backstage. We all got to get together. It's the only place you're gonna see Tiger. I can see it still now. Ghostface was sitting right here, and Tiger and all these Compton niggas was sitting right here. And that in harmony, op- yeah. yeah, it opens up lines of communication. It keeps us strong, and it's like a family reunion. And so, whoever I can charge with that, you know, it would be a lot. I think it would be a lot less problems if niggas knew every summer at whatever fest, I'm gonna see my family. Like you know, like me and you. The second week yeah. in July this summer, I'm gonna yep. see you in Bascom at our hundred and seventh family reunion. Literally, yeah. Bowers reunion. Yeah, same type deal. And that's yeah. how we stayed close through all these years. And I think we need to take what our ancestors did because we're all family. And that's you know, there's been a lot of deaths. And that's why I, I hate to see what happened with Draco. And that's the stuff that makes me want to get involved. Because when I was doing mm. my festival, I would tell my partners like, "You got Nipsey room next to who?" No, 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 oh, no, yeah. no, 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 move them That's over important. there. And then I went down to Nipsey's shop and I talked to everybody. <sighs> like, this is what it's going to be, bro. I went, I, even Tyler, I went to set with Tyler. And I was like, who you got beef with, bro? You know, back in his cockroach eating days, that nigga was, why was staying off cottage? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, bro, who yeah. I got to keep you away from? You know, there was an issue with some Florida niggas and I had to call it. I had to cancel it. I was like, okay. Oh, I had to shit. go with the bigger artists. And I was just like, I can't book you, bro. Same thing yeah. with some couple LA artists. A couple years I had to be like, you know, I know you from blah blah blah, and you could come up there, but such and such is headlining, and if y'all come up there, he's gonna be scared. And yeah. don't do it. Just don't it's, do it. Yeah, I mean that's two thousand nine or ten. Um, we can't even talk about it on here, but I remember, I remember which one you talking about because yeah. it was a little bit of a situation, and we had. I remember it. That's but I, I but I was yeah. able to get down yeah. in the trenches and have these conversations. And you, to mellow it out, yeah. yeah. You need to be able to. You have to have FOI presence. You have to have people in the community present. You whether it's getting mm. such and such pastor from First AME and blah blah mm. blah or gang intervention. You know what I'm saying? To be there, yeah, and not the yeah. celebrity gang bangers because it's all you know. Get people who don't have 
a hundred thousand followers on Instagram to be real peacemakers, people who want to be famous for making peace, not for you know clout. Right. Mm. And you got to have them on, or you know, you just can't look at who's hot. You know, and that's the thing. It's like, okay, and you make concessions. I told those people that I I was like, look, I'll book you for this show in six months if you promise okay, okay. not to yeah. come fuck with so and so. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. there's enough yeah. money if we keep the festivals going. And as a festival promoter, I'll let everyone know. Another behind the scenes thing is the the, the PD used to look at my lineup. Oh, oh wow. wow! Oh, you got such and such and such and such. Oh, we gonna need an extra ten off duty cops. Each cop gets Ooh. paid double time to show up. It's all a hustle. Because Taylor's never had yeah. any violence. We never it had wasn't. one, never one yeah. problem. And every year they would hit me over the head. Oh yeah, well we gonna have to bring in the horses for this year. Because man, oh you got, wow. oh you got, and oh okay. And for me, it wasn't about the money. So I was like, whatever they say, because I'm going to show them that there's no problem. But as I continue to That's show true. them that we wouldn't have any problems, they continue to, oh, yeah. Build and charge. You're going to have. Yes. Yeah, oh, it's free money for them. They're yeah. The, you're going to have Dove yeah. Oh, you're going to yeah. have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. Yeah. Damn near extortion at that point. Yeah. yeah. But we do yeah. it. But then yeah. imagine when you give them a reason. Imagine when there's an actual stabbing or shooting at one. Then you're making the yeah. promoters and then they get out of the hip hop business. We'll be back. To the to the nineties, people don't remember like there was no tour for niggas for life. It was illegal to throw rap shows. When I I saw uh, Wu Tang in an abandoned warehouse in downtown LA, where you had to call a number to get the address because they couldn't put it on the flyer. Whew, like wow. that's how I saw Nas. Wow. That's how I saw yeah. some of these acts because you couldn't do a rap show. You know, it was it's, it was yeah. it was a liability, and so we worked our way back to this point and i think that's another problem with our history is we don't talk about it so the youngsters don't appreciate that and they're about to and when the money imagine if it covid took out a lot of that money away but now you guys are going to put us into a, another form of covid with the violence yeah mm. where there's yeah, not gonna be, been we, we can like have that. live yeah. shows but nobody can have them cuz every time someone's getting shot or killed or stabbed yeah. or you know in the, the Travis Scott situation that's horrible man you know, like yeah, I don't, I you know, I it's, it's just sad in general. But you know, I, I what I will say to that is, he doesn't study logistics. Right, he's yeah, an it's entertainer. Not it's, that's not that's not his his you know? role. I mean, that's real. And that's, so. and that's you know, for yeah. me, like I did study logistics because I took a back seat. It wasn't Merce headlining every year. I wanted yeah. to literally build up the scene, so I put people over me. I just wanted people to come. But that, and also enabled me. I know how much each stanchion and how much each bicycle barricade costs. And I was watching them plot out the plot. Like I said, I was in the meetings with the PD and the paramedics. How many do we need? I want you to see a black face when we're talking to the chief of police. This, you know, and then in the morning I would show up and meet with the security guards like, don't take nobody's weed. Don't be rough with people. This is not the type of festival we want. I, if you have a problem, call me. If there is violence, call me. And that's why I got to do things at the LA County Museum. And, you know, people call me to do sunset, like, and there needs to be someone like that in our culture who can do these things, who's going to force the little Uzi LL Cool J issue. They don't have to collab, but we don't have to keep rolling loud over here and rock the bells over here because that's going to separate exactly. a generation of black folks. And we're not going to have a bridge to our youngsters. Right. And that's what hip hop is. It's youth culture, you know, for better or worse, it's youth culture. And we have to, it keeps us young, but in order for us to stay young, we got to give some credit and credence to the youth and not shit on them all the time. Because Lil Uzi can break dance. Juice World can freestyle <laughs> his ass off. 
Like yeah. these motherfuckers yeah. love hip hop too. And just because they don't love it, your your kids don't love your wife the same way you love your wife. Obviously. Mm. You fuck your wife. That's, that's, your son mm. loves his mother and will kill for her. You love your wife and you'll kill for her, but it's a different mm-hmm. kind of love. Mm. And these kids love wow, this crazy. culture. Yeah. And I and we love this culture. We just right. don't love it the same way. And that's okay. Right. And we There's need to love each it. other. You know what I'm saying? We are father and son, uncle and nephew. We are a family. And this is how I think at the top of that, whether people want to admit it or not, also would pay dues. Gang violence in LA was down. Not that that was, yeah. it was just part of it. Yeah. You know? That was a big, yeah. It was they not, not the cause, not, you know, it could have been a byproduct of whatever, but mm-hmm. it helped. You know what I mean? It gave young black kids something to shoot for. And you know what I mean? Without having to shoot for radio, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, motherfuckers never yeah. thought that you could rap for that many people and not be on the radio. And that was that's real, yeah. That was like that's Tyrese. Was there, so. Tyrese saw footage yeah. of pay dudes when we had the same manager. He was like, "Man, you got a real pop crowd." Mm. And I was like, "It was. It was that type of crowd." So, you, but he judged it yeah. by the race. Yeah. Tyrese has never done a show. It was mixed. That's been mixed. <laughs> it's everybody auntie and everybody. That's granny. true. For Tyrese, it's always black. Yeah, it's always an all black. So he show, saw so. my stuff, and to yeah. me, he's the pop artist. Yeah, mm, that's and, a good. That's a as, good point. And that. as I got yeah. in these rooms, I said, "Man, there's a lot." That we is, and I would show up to the shoot, the shoot, the studio in cowboy boots and basketball shorts, <laughs> and motherfuckers thought I was weird, yeah. and my hair sticking straight up. Yeah, but um, whole different levels. So I'm talking man. too much. I want to say Wait. this before I get out of here. DJ yeah. art, DJ artistic, is a is a musical wonder kind. He was producing. That's my first time hearing that word at okay. a at a young age. His father is an amazing jazz drummer, and. He was producing and had a four-track recorder when most kids had, <laughs> I don't even, Nintendo. He still had PlayStation Nintendo. I still and, had him. Yeah, and hella yeah. starting lineup. If y'all know what starting lineup is, he's the king wow, of starting yep, lineup. Yep. I still At got little, some. Little sports yep. action figures. But man. Got the Kareem. Still got some. And I'm still hurt that he doesn't go back to producing. But he's, uh, I'm we trying to think of more DJ artist, artistic. His mom is deep in the streets. If you ever in Watts. Gardena or Compton, you have a problem with the OGs, say Miss Turner, and you and you good. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've been around. Oh, Miss Turner, that's your peoples. Oh, that's oh, I love her. Man. Tell Miss Turner watch for ten years. So, tell yeah. Miss Turner I love her, man. And so there's a lot. I think I could go on and on about about my cousin, but uh, he's he's a he's he has an ear. He's he's musically trained. He's he's brilliant, and um. I just, I just, I, I can't say it. I'm so proud of you, man. I want to just tell you that, you know, I know we don't I cross paths a lot now because you, you're busy and I'm not going outside like that. I, I, I'm married. I can't be where you at. We're trying to get you back outside. No, I appreciate, appreciate you for everything that you've done for me. And, and, and look, and that's what it is. I feel like once you are back outside, of course, you, you raising kids, you being an actual dad now. So you, yeah, you ain't supposed to be good. outside like that. Yeah. Nah, yeah. You, but you, gonna, when are you going to come yeah. inside, bro? I'm gonna, tell you, I'm gonna slip that out there, bro. Man, my cousin, my mom, my, my mom is begging for that, so she, it, it'll happen when it happens. No, not that. when it happens, bro. You gotta have when a plan, happen. bro. You gotta have a plan. I get you. I get you. You, you stand up at that booth. You look out at a sea of available women. You're right. You're Find right. one, I mean, and I can explain to you the baby part. How you do that? Maybe you don't. <laughs> Man, look, hey, hey. I appreciate you a whole lot for coming, for coming through. We're gonna have to. 
over here. Cutting up. Exactly. So. <laughs> That's how it is. No, thank you a whole lot for coming through. Everybody who is tuned in, um, y'all follow Merz everywhere on social media. Don't don't do it. If you black, you went to HBCU. I ain't got nothing for you. Black people don't like my music. They don't even like the way I look. Man, (laughs) whatever with that. I love y'all. Whatever. But go go yeah. Follow follow DJ Artistic and follow Papa Artistic on Twitch. He be on Twitch cutting up too. He be on there acting up. So he be acting up on there. Oh, he be talking. He, He worse than me. He no, talking on there. Yeah, I yeah. gotta get on his stream and see what he be talking about. You got to, you got to. He be having some his old school sense of humor. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. So once again, we're uh, so appreciative to have Murs on there dropping so many, uh, so many gems for us. So I guess it's that time, Eb. It is time for that, uh, that beat match. So each and every episode, we conclude with the beat match where we take two artists, albums, songs, eras. Whatever it could be, it could be, um, it could be clothing brands. I don't know. We ain't, we ain't doing all that. But whatever it could be, and we compare them against each other, and we we basically judge to see who will come out on top in a uh, battle. So for this episode, we're gonna have our producer, Miss Nalady. She's gonna be the the sole judge for this episode, and she'll be able to to uh, you know give you know say who who she feels came out strongest with their argument. So EB, deserve. So of course you Brooklyn, you representing that New York, you up there now. That's your your new home. So of course Jay Z is, if not the greatest, right up there with the greatest, whoever that might be. I think we basically agree that Reasonable Doubt, and then I would say uh, Blueprint is just his his best two albums. Period. Yep. Yep. And then when it comes to the third best, what where would you go? I know I'm gonna piss some people off and they're gonna not understand, but I gotta mm. go with volume two, Hard Knock Life. Mmm, volume two? Yeah. All right. I mean, that might make top five for me, maybe. Maybe. Mm. I'm gonna say Black Album. I'm gonna say Black Album. Almost easily uh, my third favorite from Jay, I'm gonna say. And uh, we're gonna get into it. So uh, the way this goes, each of us get three minutes to explain our case, then we get two rebuttals. And then from there, we'll have our producer, my lady, as the sole judge to say who came out on top. So, EB, as my co-host, let everybody know. Why do you think Volume 2 would be Jay's third best album, or at least why would you even pick it over the Black album, even if it's not about where it ranks? Either way. Yeah. Um, And this is no diss to the Black album, because I do love the Black album. I think everybody loves the Black album. But I feel that in Volume 2 was the last time that we got grimy underground Jay before the commercial success. I think um, volume two, volume two saw that shift, that transition where he went from, you know, the streets as we knew him to now one of the most recognizable faces and names in commercial hip hop. Um, It is still his best selling album. Like, ever it's still the one that made him jay-z um i love the themes on the album like he had strategically chosen to go for these pop singles or pop-ish singles pop sounding singles we got the hard knock life with the annie sample we got nigga what nigga who we got uh money cash holes with dmx you know and then we got like can I get a what what with a Millie and Ja Rule and also Money Ain't a Thing with J with JD? Um, 
it was one of those albums that the singles, although they were made for radio, they were made to be commercial, like that almost like shiny suit, you know, singles. The album tracks, though, they were straight Brooklyn. They were gritty. I think that it was one of the, I don't want to say first times, but for him to have both Foxy and Emilf to show love to two women rappers on the album, have them featured on the album, I thought that was big. The collaborations overall were amazing. You know, he got Memphis Bleak, Big Jazz. That was like, I think the last time that he and Big Jazz really worked together. Um, yeah. DMX, Too Short, Ja Rule, The Locks, Beanie Siegel. Then he had Oats, like Kid Capri. Like, he really, really put his best into this album. And even with the production, he had DJ Premier, he had Swiss Beats, Stevie J, Timbaland, and Irv Gotti. Um, it kind of was like he was speaking to both the commercial side with the radio and the MTV generation or the BET generation, but he was still speaking to Brooklyn. I don't think mm. that that was the same by the time we got to the Black Album. Um, no, Like I said, no diss against the Black Album, but a lot of it was hype, in my opinion, and he sold that on I'm About to Retire. This is the last one. This is the last one. So I think that we kind of put that album on a pedestal in a way that has it rival, you know, some of the other albums that I think are just a lot better than the Black Album from Jay-Z. I don't like, again, I don't think it's a bad album, but it's just not my, it's not an album that I would put so high up on the list. Understood. I mean, oh yeah, I'll say that Volume 2 is definitely what made Jay-Z a star, and it felt like, in in some ways, it parallels what Nas did when it comes to Reasonable Doubt uh, versus Illmatic. Illmatic was Nas first, and then he went to that Source Awards. He didn't win any, anything. He didn't get any acclaim, so he went way com more commercial. For It was Riggin, so he got backlash. A little bit of a parallel to Jay with Reasonable Doubt. He came out the gate so lyrical, so street. Didn't really get the acclaim at the time, and then he came back with Volume 1, which had the commercial tracks, the I Know What Girls Like, and The Sunshine, which a lot of folks still hate. Looking back, it wasn't as bad as people say it was, but, I mean, it just wasn't what, what, what people wanted from him being somebody who had really been around for years so when he got to volume two yeah like that's when he was really starting to find himself he was finding himself and that's kind of where it is to me he was finding himself he wasn't quite there yet he had the hits i'm gonna give him that he had those major hits and they did have different lanes but at the same time it's like just to be real as big as it was nobody really wants to hear the hard not like uh, hard knock life anymore with any like, it was a great novelty track the concept was crazy the fact that he took this old school, early 1900s stage plate, joking off the 1900s thing that Merce was talking about with his son, like taking this old school stage play type sample and making it about, about the street. It was a brilliant concept, but you don't really hear that uh, the same way. That song is basically the opposite of what I would say a PSA is. I remember when PSA, um, back, back in 03, when uh, Black Album dropped, I'm going to be all the way real. I was in college. I couldn't afford too many CDs, so... I said, you know what, before I actually buy it, I'm going to download it. So I had a modem. I didn't have high speed, so I couldn't just download like the whole album in 10 minutes. It took like 30, 40 minutes per song. So I remember purposely saying, oh, that's just the interlude. I'll download that one later because it's just the interlude. I'm going to ignore that. And I get to the club that weekend, and I hear this song, and the whole crowd knows it. And I'm like, what, what Jay-Z song is this? And everybody's like, 
PSA, the interlude. I'm like, wait, the interlude? That's the that's the interlude? And I'm mad at myself for skipping that song. So the next day I download that right away. So I, I missed that one song when I first heard the whole album because I, I just skipped that one purposely. I already even skipped the singles because I already had those. But all that to say, by the time we got the Black album, you had Polish J who really knew how to handle any type of track, any type of lane. Even that Blueprint, he still, even Blueprint 2, I would say, both of those Blueprints, he still tended to struggle when it came to making commercial records. As many hits as he had, it was still where he kind of threw darts. And it was like uh, the thing that changed from volume one up to blueprint one and two is that he's throwing these darts and he might only be 20% successful with a, with a commercial hit on volume one. By the time he's at uh, blueprint one and two, he's at like 60%. But if you think about it, some of those album cuts were, were meant to be single type songs, but they just weren't strong enough. You think about that nigga Jigga and Hola Ho Vito, those were cool tracks but those were still not like the uh the greatest as as far as being commercial singles by the time you got to black album he had polished that and i'm gonna hand it back to you i get all of that and i i do think that he was a lot more polished um and i like i said is it's it was a lot more commercial um in a way and that's what really sold that album combined with the hype of retirement or the last album um Volume two was just so more, it was the authentic Brooklyn Jay that so many people had grown to love. Like he had grinded and and really made a name for himself, literally made a name for himself um, before that album. And once that album hit, the world knew who he was. And I think that he almost kind of changed history a bit. Like that was the album that he won the Grammy for um, best rap album. And, you know, the boycott of the Grammys because they were not, um, airing the rap category, you know, it was a statement that we won't just be commercialized. We won't just be shiny. We won't just be another name on the list of, um, of categories that don't air. Jay, Jay kind of changed the game. I mean, I can get that. And I feel like the thing is with black albums, I was saying about the uh, commercial records that he was making. The thing I would say is that beyond change clothes, like, and then I would say Dirt Off My Shoulder or Dirt Off Your Shoulder was definitely a commercial. I mean, it, it was a single, obviously. But beyond that, he was not really being commercial. It was just that he was no longer the street person that he was when he was when he made Reasonable Doubt. He was no longer in the streets. But he showed a very evolved Jay. And to me, it's one of the best, if not the best, just truly evolved, like, I've made it like it's supposed to be his grand opus. It's supposed to be his retirement. But it was like everything he was saying was really speaking on his career in a way that you hadn't heard a rapper do. It was like it was his victory tour to me. I feel like it's rare that you have a rapper who can say, all right, this is my last album, which we I knew it wasn't going to be his last album. We all knew that. Obviously, we say if he don't die, he's he's not going to if he dies, he's still going to have some Tupac albums come out. But either way, we knew it wasn't going to be his last album. But even with that, like, what more can I say? Literally, just the title alone just showed exactly, you know, what else is there to be said at this point? Like, he's achieved what he needs to achieve. He's done the street shit. He's rapped about that. And it's like, at this point, he's evolved. Like, every song on there, I feel like, served a purpose. And I mean, and back to you. All right. yeah, I, 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 I see why you made these arguments. Um, and although the songs on the album, um, they all weren't as commercialized as the main singles but it's almost like once they and i think people know who i mean by they 
catch on and they like your music and they have it, it kind of ruins the authenticity of it for me. And I'm not saying that the Black Album was a bad album at all, by any means. Like, I won't tell that lie, not on this podcast. But what I'm saying is it doesn't rank in my eyes as high as volume two. Like, even the musicality of it all, I think we got a grimier, grittier Jay who was hungry for it. He was hungry for the success. By the time we got to Black Album, you know, he was kind of just reflecting on the success because in his eyes and in the eyes of the world, he had made it. But it wasn't the same it wasn't on the same level as while he was still hungry for it. Like, you know how you, when you really hungry for something and you really want it, like you go hard. That's why I think his concept of having the singles be pop oriented and the album be gritty was just perfect. I mean, I definitely hear it. I feel like, I think he was still hungry. I mean, the fact that he had such a crazy concept to have essentially a different producer for every single track I'm talking about. He had, he did have the Neptunes twice, but he had Just Blaze and Quick and Rick Rubin and M and Timbaland. And it was where he had all these different producers who were giving them Ninth Wonder. That album really brought Ninth Wonder to life. And I feel like every song on there basically served its purpose from Moment of Clarity to Nine Nine Problems, which was, of course, a single. But what he was talking about there on there was him saying, no matter how big I am, I'm still dealing with the same problems of y'all that y'all do with being black. And I mean, everything on there to me served a purpose. I feel like Allure was one of the best tracks to to be a nearly closer on the album along with my first song and to me is this one of those albums that there's no weak point on there i feel like even if people don't like change clothes and go uh, as much as anything else on there it still was nothing close to a bad single i mean he had my birthday representing december 4th he had that as the second track on there so i feel like overall when you take those tracks individually every song there is important the fact that he had like eight remix albums how many times has that, has that ever happened? He had eight different remix albums that people made as fans and, and as other producers who were famous. So, I mean, I'm going to still ride with that. But either way, it's time to give it to our producer, uh, Miss Nalady. Um, let us know which one would you pick? Of course, you have Jay-Z concert experiences. I'm not sure which, which era of Jay you saw first or last, but I'm sure that might have some impact with it. Yeah. I, I mean, this was... This definitely was harder for me because I'm like, he's my favorite rapper. So I've seen him probably 15 times. First time was around wow. volume two. So okay, um, yeah, okay. I definitely went to the Hard Night Live tour and it was great. And I was in middle school. So <laughs> I, I think uh-huh. the, I had one idea going into it, but based on your arguments, oh. I'm actually kind of uh, torn. Um, I think, E.B., you have really strong arguments for volume two. I'm like, all of those hits back then and those features were just like, I mean, it, everybody wanted to be a part of it. Everybody wanted to be down. They're like, who's Rockefeller? Like, it was just, yeah. to me, a game changer uh, for Def Jam, too. And uh, and their tour kind of changed the game. Um, and then, mm-hmm. but then the argument for Black Album is also one of my favorite albums. So, I kind of go, went in thinking I was going to think of Black Album first, but I really think with the arguments of the variety of both albums and the different producers, I was like, okay, now it's a tie based on your arguments. So mm, okay. it was a little harder. I thought it wouldn't be, but I, because when I hear yeah. certain songs from volume two, mm. I am immediately way more excited than some of that Black Album. But then when I hit, listen to the full Black Album, and in its entirety, is still very enjoyable. It just doesn't have the same nostalgia mm. for me. 
So. Yeah, I can see that. I actually, I I will agree on on that part of it. You know, listening to some like listening to the Black album in its entirety, it's an experience. Yeah. But listening to Volume Two, like certain songs will come on and transport you right back to age thirteen, I mean, or fourteen. Jig, you know? I mean, yes. Jigga Wet Jigga. Like I told you, told you last episode, whatever it was, Jigga Wet Jigga Who. When I heard that in class, yeah, I was like, what is this? Like this is different. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, overall, I can agree with that. I feel like. Black album to me is this might be a better like start to finish as far as the way that it flows, the way that it, that it, each song kind of builds on each other. But volume two had the standouts that had the, the, the largest amount of, of hit singles for sure. So yeah. even though I was gonna say, can I can I get a what does kind of I always associate that with Rush Hour because of the video and because it Rush Hour soundtrack did come out before the J album yeah, yeah. technically, but it's it still counts. It does count. It wasn't yeah. like it was a bonus track, but yeah. It was just the fact that whenever I think about that video, I think about and low key Jaru kind of stuff. And Jaru went ja hard. Jaru, Jaru, ja yeah. That was that was yeah. the last time that I actually was like, "Yo, Jaru yeah. actually got skills." Never That's when I was like, "Who is?" I was like, "Who is this dude?" Because yeah. I don't think I, I really know who he was till that. So when I heard that, I, I think that was before Holla Holla. Pretty sure I was before Holla Holla. I think so. I think so. So when I heard that, and back then, you remember, it sounds funny now, but we, we used to compare him to DMX. We were like, who is this? Like, we is did. this DMX clone? We he got did. that rough voice. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah. We did. We That's did. That's how a lot of us used to be back then. No, we didn't know. But money cash hoes, yeah. like that just. Money cash hoes? Like, that's yeah. still. That can go up against a lot right now. The, the instrumental <laughs> can still like go up against these songs. Like just the and, and DM, like, DMS killed him on that. Any anyway, absolutely he did. Yeah, he did. yeah, yeah. DMS did own it. He's DMS. He owned He's it. Kill everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did own that. He he stole the show, the whole show on that one. So yeah. So hey, but appreciate everybody for being tuned in. Um, yes. Once again, please rate and review us on Apple and Spotify podcast. It helps others to find our show. If you have any suggestions, questions, or anything that you would like us to highlight, please send us an email to behindthewheelspod at gmail.com. Shout out to Melissa for being our producer, along with my lady. And yes. um, uh, EB, where can they find you at? Uh, social media, EB4Prez. That's EB, the number four. P-R-E-Z is in zebra. Eric B for president. You can find me um, on every social media platform at this point. Just look All me over. up. Yeah, all over the place. You said you on TikTok too, huh? You got you, you ain't doing no uh, dance I, I, routines yet. Listen, so. no dance routines yet. I have some ideas for the content I'm gonna create my channel around, but I'm just okay. sitting on it for right now. I don't want nobody stealing my shit. So, but hey, y'all follow it. me I anyway. It. I feel it. Hey, and uh, find me. I'm on TikTok with the kids too. So yes, DJ RTISTIC. I'm on Twitch under RTISTIC three one zero. I'm on IG and Twitter under the DJ Artistic with. DJ Artistic with no A. That's all it is. And uh, we'll get at y'all soon. We appreciate Merge for coming through. Yeah. And uh, stay tuned. We got more coming for y'all. We appreciate you. Artistic out. He be out. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Montz and the Lady Sec. And the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.